0: Amen to that. Thank you, Don, for the songs. Jimmy? been a while since I heard you pray. Thank you. Luke 7, I appreciate your prayers this morning. I always appreciate your prayers, but especially this morning with my uh, condition, if you will. So, Bear with me. We could have subtitled this, Lesson, and Loving People Where They Are. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Our thoughts this morning are about interacting with people <coughs> out in the world. And we see their, uh, their confusion their wrong beliefs, many of their unbelief, their sinful ways of living, their ungodly lifestyles, and so forth. And we as Christians, as Christ's disciples, are called to proclaim to them a gospel of hope, to warn them of a coming judgment, to help those who are in need, even of them, pray for and love our enemies, to call people to repentance and a a dozen other things. And this can be uh, sometimes, well, it is, frustrating and confusing as to how we do this and what should be our approach. We've talked about this many times before. And there's a simple answer. It's not done simply, and that is to do it like Jesus did, because he encountered the same people, didn't he? That we do. And uh, I'm grateful, and I can't remember the brother. This lesson is has a foundation in one of the lessons we had this past year at the retreat. So let's turn to Luke seven. And uh, again, we remind you, we give you the little handout sheet uh, for you to be able to follow the scriptures, but also for you to be able to take it home and have a little record of the scriptures and to review the lesson, to uh, have the thoughts and the words of God stick better in your mind over the week. I'm not going to read all of these scriptures today. I didn't intend to, even if I was feeling well, because they are just too lengthy. But uh, you can do that on your own and get the full gist or feeling of these various situations. Here in Luke 7, uh, Jesus has just got finished talking about John the Baptist and what a great man John the Baptist was. And he said, among those born of women, there's none greater than John. And then verse 29 we read, when all the people, in Luke 7, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves not having been baptized by John. God sets, has purposes for us. And his purposes result in commandments. And it was the command of the day when John was preaching and calling people to repentance, making the way for the Lord Jesus, that people come and repent and be baptized. And as we see there, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected that. They rejected John, and in doing that, they rejected God and God's purpose for them. There's a different baptism now today and that's into Christ in the name of Christ Jesus. It's God's purpose for every man and woman to do that. And if we reject that baptism, we reject God and God's purposes for us because it is the way to be saved. But to go on with the reading, uh, verse 33, I'm jumping down there. John came has come eating no bread and drinking no wine you say as a demon all right so this was the people were saying oh he's a crazy man you know he's out there in the wilderness eating the locusts and wearing the camel's hair and he's just a weird guy but then 34 the son of man has come eating and drinking doing just the opposite he's associating with people he's among the public and you say, Behold, a, glutton, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, he's saying, There's no way we can please you. It doesn't matter what, what we do, what God's people do, you are not going to accept us. And that's very much true today, even. That no matter what the church does or God's people do, people find fault because they want to. I would imagine that Jesus happily accepted the idea that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners because that's exactly what he was, wasn't he? He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, right? I come to call the sinners. And that's where he was all the time. He's not saying here, or we're not saying here, that he didn't see their sins. He saw them better than anybody, believe me. And he didn't overlook them, but he looked past them. And that's what we're going to talk about in this lesson today. How Jesus looked past people's sins and saw the person. He understood their lostness. Their struggles, their disappointments, their problems. And he came to do something about it. So that's what we want to learn from Jesus today. and We should be really thankful that he was a friend of sinners. Because guess what? That's you and me, isn't it? Amen? That's you and me. We are sinners. And he's still our friend. So let's turn to Mark 10. We're going to look at four instances out of the life of Christ Jesus. To see how he dealt with people in these various situations. For us to try to learn to be able to do the same thing. The first thought here is, we just sang the song, we need to love others as Jesus has loved us. Love others as Jesus loved. That's the first thought. Mark 10, 17. Here we have the story of the, of the rich young ruler. Uh, I'm not, again, I'm not going to read it all. He came to Jesus, says, What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Well, you keep the commandments. Uh, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, in verse 19, and so forth and so on. And he says, "Teacher." Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. I've done all those things. And he, he may well have done those things. And guess what? Praise God that he did. Because there were even so many in that day and age that were not even keeping the commandments. But he did. He, he was a, a, a morally upright young man. But he had a problem. And notice verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Other translations just say loved him. Jesus loved him. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't love other people you know, that he interacted with. But there must have been something very special about this young man and his situation. That Jesus wanted just to get him out of it. For him to get it for un- him to understand what it was to be a man of God and uh, to, uh, to do the will of God and understand what the, what the law was about because the law wasn't just about keeping the law, was it? The law wasn't just about keeping the law. When I read it, read this, I uh, of course have read it many times, and it said Jesus loved him, I was reminded and maybe I shared this before. I know I did in one situation. I don't know, it was last fall. We had the family showed up on Sunday night. Was it Sunday night or Wednesday night? Sunday night. Out in the van asking for help. Uh, I think they were, said they were from Romania. Father, mother, and four little kids. The oldest one was probably about six or seven. And when I went out and looked in the van and saw those kids, it was like, "We got to do something. And I think that's what Jesus saw here in this young man. i got to tell him what this is about. And so he did. But if you recall in the law and other discussions Jesus had with people, I said, "What is the greatest commandment?" It wasn't one of the 10, was it? It was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind and strength. And the second was to love your neighbors yourself. And this was evidently something that this young man missed. Because he had the love of his property first. because it says later on that when he went away, he says uh, he did that. He was sorrowful because he owned much goods or had much property. But look what Jesus says for him to do. Verse 21. One thing you lack, all right? You're a good law keeper. But that, there's a lot more to it than that. Go and sell all you possess. That was his idol. And he had to get rid of it. So Jesus is telling him what, he, what his problem is. He's got to get rid of his, his stuff. Okay? Give it to the poor. That's the second great commandment, isn't it? See that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Give it to the poor. And then what's he say? Come follow me. That's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what he needed. Jesus told him. Far as we know, he just went away and he never came back. But Jesus looked past this young man's faults and saw him. You know, he, he didn't turn him away. Um, he didn't laugh at him. He didn't have a, you know, say, "I don't want anything to do with you," because I know what's in your heart. You're a rich man. He loved him. Right where he was in his situation. And he told him what he needed to do. And he left it up to him. So this is what we need to do in these situations with folks. To try to, you know, sort through all the stuff and just see them first of all. Made in the image of God, people with a soul. People with problems. People who have potential. People who could become great servants for God. People who are lost. That's where we have to to get with people. To see them just like Jesus did. And to love them like Jesus did. That's love. Being able to look past all the, the faults and the situation and just see them first of all as a human being made in the image of God. Our second scripture from John 8 truly shows Jesus was a friend of sinners. So we need to love people like Jesus loved this number two thought is this do not be in the judging and condemning business. Okay? Jesus did not send us into the world to judge and condemn people, did he? I think sometimes that's what we think we're about. And again, it's not that we don't see faults and we don't see sins, but that's something Jesus came to handle, isn't it? He told us to come and proclaim a gospel of good news, that with your sin, whatever they are, they can be forgiven and you can become a child of God and have a real hope. So we have to learn to look past the sins, however egregious and terrible and horrible they are, and to understand that the blood of Christ can remove them, every last one of them. That's what we're to be about. And that's what Jesus was about. John 8, 2 to 11, we have the story of the the woman taken in adultery, as we call it. And the scribes and Pharisees brought this. We know, this this was a test. They didn't care about this woman, okay? Evidently, she was guilty. They caught her in adultery. Some would point out, well, the man wasn't there either, yeah, but, you know, that again shows they weren't serious about this thing. In fact, they weren't even serious about the law of Moses. Because if she was guilty, which she was, it shows they weren't serious, they should have taken care of it themselves, right? Here's a guilty woman, they're the scribes and Pharisees, you take care of it. You take her out and stone her. You shouldn't have to go to anybody to ask what to do. You can see there, it was just a test. They wanted to trip Jesus up. But Jesus sees through it all. And again, what did he see? He saw her. He saw her. And he saw what these men were doing to her and using her as a pawn in their little chess game with Jesus. And he would have none of it. None of it. He saw her immediate plight. He saw the shame. He also saw her sinful lifestyle. But he saw her, first of all. First they ask their question. What do we do? What do you say? What do you say we should do? Moses says, "Stoner." What do you say? And, you know, he stoops down. He's scratching on the ground. There, are people who have debated so much about what he wrote that they forgot what this whole story is about. Doesn't matter what he wrote. It matters what he said. Verse seven. First of all. He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now that cut him to the heart. That stopped them in their tracks. When I mean, it should stop us in our tracks when we go running around just condemning people and not seeing that they are caught up in Satan's web, deceived, maybe from having horrible childhoods, not knowing anything at all different, how they got into that situation in the first place, not having any compassion or trying to understand. It's hard not to do sometimes, because there's, even as we've seen recently, some very terrible and despicable things that people have done. And again we say we're not overlooking sin but we know how sin is to be dealt with. Jesus came to deal with sin, didn't he? Your sins, my sins and all the sins out there. That's why he came. Well, after he said that nobody wanted to do anything so they all left and then in verse 10 he says woman where are they did no one condemn you she said no one lord and Jesus said I do not condemn you either. Of anybody on this planet, what? He was the one who could condemn her, right? But he didn't. Can you imagine how that must have sounded to her? That's true grace. That's what Jesus is all about. This is your Savior right here. This is the kind of people he wants us to be. He knew she was guilty. Go and sin no more. Stop it. You can do better than that. We need to decide if we are stone throwers or forgivers. We need to see people as Jesus saw them. Got to move on. Matthew 8. We need to celebrate the Jesus in others or the good in others. Someone has said there's there's bad in the best of us and there's good in the worst of us. I believe that's true. Matthew 8 here, 5 to 10, we have the story of the centurion who had the servant who was paralyzed and he came to Jesus. Now this centurion was a pagan, he was a Roman. I don't know if he believed that Jesus was the son of God or not. But he did believe that Jesus had the power to heal. And Jesus uh, says to him, okay, I'll come and heal your servant. And the servant says, wait, you don't have to do that. I understand authority. I have people that go when I say go, and they come when I say come. He says, you're not... I'm not worthy to have you even come into my house. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. And what's Jesus' response to that? Verse 10. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. He lavished praise on this pagan. This man's got faith. Like I'm not even seen among my own people. Those who are God's people. It says then, or in that same verse, he marveled. He marveled. What's it take to marvel God, you know? To make God st- like sit up and take, oh, wow, look at that. I mean, God's seen it all, right? He's created it all. But here's a man, he says, wow, look at this faith in this guy. You know, some of us have good friends, neighbors, and people we don't even know. They're non-believing, but they do a lot of good out in the world. You know that? They are good parents. They are good neighbors. They are good workers. They serve on village councils and school boards. They work in soup kitchens and shelters and food pantries. They wear the uniform. Maybe it's the blue. Or maybe it's the military. They give time and service and endanger their lives for our good. When we see such people and any others, they should be commended for doing good, for doing what God would want them to do. We should not be jealous. We understand that they are... Even though they might not be believing in God, they are still made in the image of God. And some of that, you know, has rubbed off. Right? It's just part of humanity that we're made in the image of God. In one place, you know, uh, Jesus was talking about... uh, prayer, and about us soliciting God, and, and the response was, you know, you know, God is so good, but how, when we are asked by, a, by our son for a loaf of bread, would we give him a serpent? He says, you know, how can you who are evil do good, right? And we are sinners, but we still do good. And so when we see someone doing good, we should commend them and maybe even say something like, you know, I can see the Jesus in you. You know, if we're up to that. You did a good thing. Celebrate the good in others. And our last thought from Luke 20. And again, there are other things we could say. We need to point people to Jesus' words. All right? Sometimes we get into discussions with folks and it just ends up being a they said, you said. All right, well, this is just what you think and that's what they think and it just kind of goes nowhere, back and forth. You have an impasse. Jesus was always quoting Scripture. Wasn't he? Always quoting scripture. Of course, he couldn't quote himself because it would be in the same situation. So he quotes what was written beforehand. All right? And this is just one instance here. We have Luke 29 to 18, the parable about the vineyard and the vine growers and how uh, the owner of the vineyard wanted to have uh, some of the produce and those who he had rented it out to wouldn't do it. And she says, well, finally, he says, I'll send my son. And they said, oh, here's the heir. Let's kill him. And, of course, the whole parable was designed to talk about the Jewish leaders and how they were going to reject Jesus. And so they could have what they wanted. They could have the power. And so in verse 17, Jesus looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. He says, there it is, right, written in your law. You will reject one, and he's going to become the chief cornerstone. And that's exactly what happened. So just a reminder, when we point people to Jesus' words or the words of scripture, we remove the focus from us and we turn it on God and his holy word. So then folks are not dealing with me particularly at that point. Right? Or you particularly at that point. But they are dealing with God. This is what God said. This is written in his book. What will you do with it? So, we need to learn that word of God, speak it, turn to it, and point people to Jesus' word. After all, this is a supernatural word, isn't it? Jimmy said, prayed in his prayer, it's a living word. It's the sword of the spirit. It's that which can convict and pierce the heart. It's the truth of God, they're the words of life. So, you know, we enter into conversation and what we say is important. But when you start using the spirit sword, something a lot better can happen for folks. The power to penetrate, convict, and enlighten. We need to love like Jesus. We need to see the good in others. We need to not be about condemning people, but about loving people seeing and understanding their situations and putting the Lord Jesus before them and saying he can help you out of this and he can give you a real future as we close out Jesus is calling he's always calling he's everywhere calling people jimmy mentioned in his prayer of the creation god is there god is in his word god is in his people God is even in your conscience calling you to him. He has put eternity in your heart. Don't turn away from God. If you want to respond to the gospel this morning, to this Jesus who is a friend of sinners and he came to give his life that we all might live, we're here to assist you in that. If you are a Christian and you've been struggling with life, maybe with some of the things we've talked about this morning, we would be happy to pray with you and pray for you. However we might help you, please come while Brother Don leads us.